Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Body Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Michaels, and actually, I'm your co host today. Today is the long awaited Mind and Fitness Podcast plus Mind Body Mastery Podcast simulcast, meaning that this episode will be airing both on my show and on Eddie Lindenstein's show. So whether you listen to it here or there, it doesn't matter, you'll be getting the same experience. And so this episode was meant to be recorded back in February, but we got derailed by Winter Storm Maya. And, um, and then after that, we decided to get together in Chicago in March only to wake up that day with, uh, no voice on Eddie's end of things. So we can't really record without a voice. So here we are today. We're recording it, um, or we recorded this last week. Um, and we just wanted to kind of get these questions answered once and for all, because, um, you guys have been waiting a really long time. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for submitting your questions. We were unable to get to all of the questions, but I'm hoping that the questions that were answered um, help someone in some way. And so um, if you have any further questions or follow-up questions or follow-up comments, please do reach out either in my private Facebook group, Mind Body Masters, or you can head on over to um, Eddie's Facebook page or Instagram page and uh, reach out to one of us to submit another question because we do plan to get together in May um, if the stars align. So thank you guys again for your participation in this episode. I have a feeling that some of you who asked questions um, are in a different state of being at this point in time. It's been two or three months. And so I'm thinking that, um, and this is a beautiful thing that the questions are no longer relevant, but they will be relevant to someone. So thank you to everyone who asked anyway. And I hope that, uh, you know, our perspectives are of some benefit to you. And I want you to, as you go along with this episode, see what you would have answered in response to some of these questions and see what your inner wisdom tells you about the answers, because the answers are going to be different for each individual person. And the key to kind of getting in touch with yourself again and overcoming symptoms is getting in touch with what your answers are. So I don't want you to just take my answers or Eddie's answers for fact. I want you to look within and see what your own unique answers are, because they're always going to be a little different. And so Without further ado, we'll get into the simulcast. Here's us. Enjoy. All right. What are you trying to delete? Oh, I, I just accidentally, you know, you can take like a snapshot of the screen. So it was like me looking pensively. I deleted it successfully. So we're mm. good. Uh, I, <clears throat> I've been getting used to the, to the Midwest accents when you just said snapshot. <laughs> From being in Schaumburg and meeting some Chicagoans. Is that what it's called? I think so. I call them that. Mm. Illinoisians. Illinoisians. Uh, <laughs> I am, because this is going to be very, like, um, it's, I'm not going to edit it at all. In fact, what we're recording right now probably is going to end up on the show because we leave for um, 
Palm Springs in the morning. And Ooh. so this is going to get edited and then shipped and then it'll be done. Nice. So, so exciting. Yeah. Family yeah. trip? Uh, family trip without the children. So, oh, hey, <laughs> awesome. So, um, they're going to have, uh, one of Zoe's old teachers. She's going to stay here with the girls. So it'll be four nights. Um, it's for, it's like a sort of a work trip. Um, Jenny's old We're in, we'll probably, well, actually we'll probably get into, uh, we'll get into the, I guess like the depth of this particular trip here in a bit, but, um, yeah, it's for Jenny's work and supposedly we won't be doing work on the trip, which will be, but I'm going to rent a Harley on Monday and I'm going to drive through like Joshua tree and the desert and all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to getting like six, seven, eight hours, just me in the road. Yes. Beautiful. Awesome. So, um, I don't know what's going on in your life. Um, not too much. Yeah. Just, uh, Wim Hoffing it and, (laughs) <laughs> Are you, so you're still okay so I, I did it the first couple of days after your after the episode aired with the breathing and stuff like that and I just um you know we all make excuses on why we don't do daily yes, things yes. right and and for me I just always feel like I'm just running from place to place to place to place so um I I kind of have to pick my battles I guess at, at some places yeah. but I I thought that the that the breathing stuff was really like I don't know euphoric's maybe not the right word I think I told you like I've never done a drug I've never had a cigarette. Like I don't, I haven't been, I legitimately haven't been even drunk since 2008. So like the feeling of something sort of taking you over the last time I did it, I think was Sunday. And I was like, I was in a parking lot at my old college and I, you know, you, you, once you go through the whole thing and you do the max breath, it takes, I don't know, what do you think? 12 minutes or something probably to get through. Yeah. I feel like and when it when the last one got over, like my my delt and my shoulder were just like, like shaking. like sh- like shaking, and I like couldn't I couldn't it was completely something I couldn't control, and I was like this is wild, and I cool. I sent a video. There was a a woman who I interviewed on here who had been pain free for three years and recently have has had a really bad relapse, and I told her hey you should listen to this podcast, which was the one that you did on the topic, but then said like you should just try this and see. I mean, I'm like, I've never dropped acid, but I have to imagine this is what it <laughs> Oh no. Acid's a little different. <laughs> Not, uh, all that I have to go off of is, uh, there's recently this documentary in Seattle that got released and it's called why Seattle is dying. And it's really controversial here right now, but it's about the, it's about the, the homeless quote unquote problem in the area. But then also, people that are getting addicted to really, really hard drugs and ending up on the street and what happens to them and that kind of stuff. And so they have videos of people that are into some really bad shit. And that's kind of what I, that's the, that's my, my, that's what I have as a reference point is yeah. what's on the top. Yeah. Wim Hof will not get you there, but, <laughs> but as close, as close as I need to get, I mean, the vice documentary was pretty wild. So yeah. uh, for people that are listening to this, just on my side, I guess, tell them about Wim Hof and what oh. you did on your show and then we can go to intro since by that point I'll be like, it'll be like six minutes in and yeah. Yeah. So Wim Hof is this like dude also known as the Iceman who, um, wanted to find a way to kind of tap into his body's own self healing magic. And he did that through conscious connected breathing and also retention of the breath added to that, um, cold exposure, like gradual cold exposure where you, kind of stress the body out as a way to strengthen it. Um, and so he started doing like ice baths and he 
has the record world record for the longest swim under icy cold water. He hiked up Mount Kilimanjaro and I think what was the other mountain? Everest. Everest. Yeah. Everest. Um, in nothing but shorts and uh, just kind of to show the awesome power of the human body and how adaptable we are and how we're supposed to be mammals that are a part of this natural world. And so we're supposed to be adaptable. And so when we live in our comfort zones all the time, we lack the, the stress, you know, the external environmental stress on our bodies to kind of keep our body's immune system functioning at the level that it can. And so, yeah, he exposed himself to um, lots of medical scrutiny and studies that injected himself with E. coli and all kinds of other stuff to show that he could fend off these injected uh, invasions. And uh, he was able to do it. And everyone that he trained to do it was able to do it. So it just kind of opens your mind to the power of of your mindset and what you believe and what you believe is possible for you. And yeah, so I've been doing the breathing and the cold exposure on a daily basis. And it's pretty cool. The cold showers are not at all like a non-event. I think I probably did 30 seconds today, um, (laughs) which I I hope to get up to a few minutes without even flinching. Like I kind of, I have an extendable like shower handle that I'll kind of like, you know, so it's not like constant on me, but, um, but I'm getting there. And we jumped into Lake Michigan last weekend. (laughs) Which I love when freezing. I I love when Preetha said on Facebook. She said, uh, "You know, I could do the breathing. I don't know if I could do the cold exposure." And I was thinking, dude, you live in <laughs> Chicagoland. You're doing the cold exposure. Like like nine months a year, you're doing the cold exposure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wonder how um, how sissy I would get if I moved to like the southern part of the United States. Like how how fifty degrees would feel super cold to me. You know, whereas nowadays like 30 feels like a heat wave here. <laughs> so. I, I will say, because I'm originally from uh, the northern part of California, which like California, Southern California gets very hot in the summer, and we all know that. Northern California um, and like Central California, because I was nowhere near water when I lived there. And in the summer, I mean like 115 is a pretty normal like July day there. And it probably took, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years to get deconditioned. But now if we have like 80 or 85 degree day here in Seattle, it's pretty hot. Like yeah. it's hot. Yeah. And um, so it does certainly take some time. I feel like you would be the, the strongest person in Arizona <laughs> if you move down there now in terms of what, what you – because you know, everybody that – like a friend of mine lives there, 65 degrees. She's calling me and she's wearing a sweatshirt, you know, like a parka. Wow. And you're probably thinking, wow, like that's like, <laughs> that's like tan weather. You know what I mean? Yes, I'd be in a tank top. Uh, so uh, this is a joint – I'm assuming you're recording on your side too, I right? I am, yes. So this is a joint production of uh, the Mind Body Mastery podcast and the Mind and Fitness podcast to which we – I'm looking at an email right now that somebody sent me that's called Question for the Eddie Caitlin Mega episode and it's from February 3rd. So I think we've been talking about it for a long time. <laughs> and first time it was like weather and then it was illness and then it was like let's just do it and then in may when i come back to the midwest maybe all the ducks will be in a row and yeah and it'll all good yes um so i guess maybe we'll start with uh i sort of want to get a set because I, I think you just said that you celebrated your one year anniversary as a podcast yeah. host mm-hmm. so uh maybe take us back 
down memory lane on, you know, why did you start it? What made you do it? What made you get in that? Because at the time I could literally call, I could call myself the royalty of the TMS podcast. Yours didn't <laughs> exist. Full saxes didn't exist. It was the only one, I think at the time that yeah. was just this. And now it's, and now it's just, you know, it's, now Nicole's on board. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Nike shoes. Everybody's, everybody's wearing them now. Uh, so what was the genesis of it? Um, well, I don't know. I felt like the message of mind body knowledge just wasn't like out there as much as I had wanted to see. And I, I knew that my career was going to take a very big turn because, you know, being a physical medicine practitioner, I no longer believed that acupuncture alone was the answer for anybody. You know, it was like suddenly like, before I thought maybe it could be, you know, and, and then I learned what I learned through my own pain experience. And it was like, oh my God, I have to tell, first of all, I have to tell all of my patients. And so really the podcast started as a way to give a little bit of structure of what this information is without having just a book sent home with them. Um, so it was really like a business move, um, so that I could give them something for free that would explain what I want to explain to them and show them that they might not need me down the road. And, you know, I was very like, um, gentle about that. And I think episode three of the podcast where I was like, and you know, if you see an acupuncturist, have a conversation with them and see if they can treat you emotionally. (laughs) And so, um, so that was kind of the start of it. Um, and I wasn't sure how long I would stick with it. You know, I'm very notorious for quitting things that I begin. And so, um, so yeah, I'm actually kind of proud of myself for sticking with it for a year, but I do recall like searching the podcast landscape for a TMS specific podcast. And I searched Sarno, I searched TMS and I like could not find anything. Um, and I just saw the Sachs, I think it was the Sachs episode and the Ozanich episode of yours. And I was like, oh, well, he's talked about it, but he's a fitness podcast, you know? So I'm like, yeah. I'm not stepping on his toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, we both kind of evolved, you know, that way. So I, I interviewed, a, there's this woman I came across on Instagram like six years ago, probably. And I interviewed her last week, finally. And it's probably going to air in to either like the 10th or the 17th of April. And um, what recently caught my eye about her, though, she's a CrossFit coach in the Cayman Islands. Like, what a dream, right? She um, she moved. She was in New York City, living the grind, like, you know, had a job in corporate marketing and then literally just like dropped it all and moved to Cayman. And now she I think it's King Cayman or something like that. But she's living down there coaching CrossFit and, you know, living close to the beach and, you know, kind of doing that whole thing. And but recently she had started posting a lot about um, the nervous system's reaction to stress and anxiety and emotion. And I was like, whoa, like I've been following you for a long time. And it's like, I'm not a fanboy, but like, you know, you're starting to talk about a lot of this stuff. Can I, can we speak on it now? And, and it's, it's just so interesting, right? I've always compared this to before I bought a Subaru, I didn't think anybody drove a Subaru. And then when I bought one, suddenly Mm -hmm. everybody drives a Subaru, right? So, um, same thing with my motorcycle, same thing with pugs before I had pugs. I was like, very few people have pugs. Now everybody's got a pug. Yeah. Um, so I think it's the collective conscious idea Exactly. and I went back and I looked, so I interviewed you nine months ago. And at the time you said that you were starting to have this, uh, uh, cognitive dissonance maybe is the correct term, but I think you were starting to think about like what happens to the practice now. Yeah if I'm going to go in this direction. And so 
I guess what's changed in nine months? Are you still practicing? What's what's the have you had anybody if you are practicing, has anybody come into the office yet and said, Hey, I heard this podcast and I didn't realize you were so close? Like kind of tell us what's been going on the last nine months. Yeah, so I am still practicing and it is really hard to let go of my regulars. <laughs> you know, like yeah. my people that I've been seeing for eight, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to eight years that come in for that little bit of self-care that come in for that little bit of nervous system wind down, you know, and there is some benefit there. And I do have a few that like everyone gets the TMS spiel now, like everyone, whether or not they want it. Um, And then I, on my website, I kind of now advertise my services as both mind body coaching and acupuncture in one. So you're going to get it whether whether you want it or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how far you take it is up to you, but um, but here's all you need to heal, and you know you can take it from there kind of thing. And if that means you're only seeing me once or twice, that's fine. If that means that we're getting into a coaching relationship more so and doing you know three times a month just talking and me kind of giving more information to you, then that's possible too. So it's kind of shifted into a hybrid coaching plus acupuncture but to be quite honest i think acupuncture's days are numbered so so feel free to not answer this if you don't want to <laughs> literally just say and since i told you already that i'm not going to edit anything in here just say i don't want to answer it and we'll move on but one thing in in the state uh, the state of when i became an adult meaning i got a job with health insurance mm-hmm. uh, when i was i don't know 21 22 something like that um, where i had to pay for my own health insurance yeah uh, I always thought of acupuncture as something that um, people always just pay out of pocket for. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that at least in Washington with Aetna and with Primera and with a lot of these entities, that acupuncture is almost always covered. And mm-hmm. most of the places around here, with the exception of maybe one, all take insurance. Mm-hmm. So do you do you work within the confines of insurance right now? Like have you been cash only? Um, I'm cash only now. I used to bill insurance back in like, you know, 2011 through twenty. 15. But then I stopped because I'm a solo practitioner and the energy and the stress of working, dealing with insurance companies was not worth it for me. So I stopped. So there's a good follow on Instagram. She's a, she's a physical modality practitioner. However, her, her, uh, I don't even know if she's read Sarna. We're going to do a podcast together. She's got about 70,000 followers. She's called the movement maestro on Instagram, Mm -hmm. but she just came out with an ebook that I think is more garnered, more geared towards medical practitioners, people that are physical therapists, chiropractors, acupuncturists, and it's literally called Fuck Insurance. And yeah. I think it's so funny, right? It's like this. I think it's a free. I think it's. I think it might be a free ebook, but a lot of what she talks about is very like Sarno esque, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I would imagine that that if she's mostly working with athletes, I mean, there's no bigger sense. Uh, there's no bigger. Um, no bigger pushback I get than from people that are in athletics, probably. Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer because, like, I'm an athlete and, like, yeah. all these people that saw me mysteriously miss training for a year have a tough time putting together that, uh, you know, some, that I didn't go see a, a chiropractor that's underground that I can't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that that's that that's what it is. But it, as, as I've said before, a term I used to hate, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, okay. So I don't know how many questions you got sent to you for specifics. Do you, A, do you have the thread, the original thread on your page up 
to where we can fire off some of these topics that people sent. So I copied and pasted them onto a document and I have them in front of me. I can pull it up if need be, but I kind of combined the two threads together because I had a second thread that was like a, any last minute questions. And so I combined the two and put them on paper. Would you like me to pull it up instead? Well, I posted one. Ver no, no, no. The paper one's fine. I posted a really similar one on my page, which I'm assuming you're the paper that you've transcribed them onto doesn't include anything that not. anybody sent yes, me. Yes, I was okay, hoping good. we were on the same page that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's perfect. So um, maybe we'll, so I would like to, uh, to, to cut in and have, and have the first two that I got be asked about because they're ones that I've been struggling with to answer. And I think that getting your input would be really good. Sounds good. <laughs> okay, so the first one, um, and I won't, I won't uh, read names on here, but this one came back on February the 6th. But it had said, could you cover condition responses and how to stop them? And I, I get this question like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I just can never find really a great way to answer it other than just just do it. Because there was a period of time where I would try and squat as an example. And as soon as that bar touched my neck, like the feeling in my hands would, would go away. Mm -hmm. And eventually I just had to get to a point where I said, we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And like, that's just how it's going to be. But I understand people that can't get there. So what do you think? Yeah. So there was another question that came to me that was about condition responses. And my take on it was, you got to do the thing. You just mm -hmm. got to do the thing. And you have to do it with this attitude of every single time I do this and I face this conditioned thing, I am getting one step closer to unconditioning it or deconditioning it. So it's yep. like, it's work and it's not going to be comfortable, but the more you are willing to do the thing without the fear attached to it, um, the quicker I think that response unwinds, but you kind of have to walk through it a little bit. Um, oh, there we go. I just sent you a chat that said, Hey, I'm getting some feedback from you. Something moved, but you sound great now. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, the other one was somebody asking about, uh, I've got some good input on this as well, but this was an email. He said, this person said, I have a question regarding sleep and its relationship to TMS. I know that insomnia can be considered an equivalent. I also know that poor sleep affects pain levels and vice versa, creating a vicious cycle. So my specific question is a practical one. Any advice on what to do when you're woken up by a crazy pain in the middle of the night and you're insanely tired and really want to sleep? Is it better to just lie there and rest and surrender even if you don't get back to sleep or take it as a sign that you need to get up and journal or meditate? So, yeah, there's so many different approaches for so many different personalities, but I would say that first and foremost, like, I wouldn't say immediately get up and go journal or meditate. Like, I would say if it were me that was waking up with a pain, I would do some somatic work on it in that I would tune into it and do, as you say, Eddie, just stare at it, just stare at it, be curious about it, dive into it with my awareness and just be with it in a compassionate way. Um, you know, and then if that doesn't do me any good, then perhaps, you know, depending on where the pain is, just getting up and moving a little bit and not necessarily moving in a way that, you know, is exercise or anything structured, but moving in a way that, you know, can help just get the blood flowing a little bit um, because movement is really a great way to get your, your emotional energy moved through you too. So um, that would be what I would do. What would you do, Eddie? Um, so I would do somatic, I would somatic track at first. 
uh, and I would probably I wouldn't get up and journal or meditate is very is like a very open term to me mm-hmm. because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. People mm-hmm. are probably doing the, everybody says they suck at meditation, right. mostly everybody, unless you're a monk. And um, I think that like we all think that we suck at it, but I bet in one yes. way or another we all do it in some way. Whether we yes. take a walk at like there's a cool park that's near my house and. I mean, it's, it's beautiful and doesn't belong in my, like my town's pretty, but like, you know, where you walk in and it's just like a gravel road and there's just like forestry around you. And when I'm just walking through, everything's completely silent. Somebody could consider that to be meditation. So, um, I would say take the somatic approach first. And then secondly, I would say doing, um, Dr. Andrew Whale has a good like four, seven, eight breathing technique. Mm. Just do it for four rounds. And it literally takes 76 seconds the way he explains it. Um, you can find a YouTube video on that. But the other thing I would do is just, I mean, very basic in through the nose and out through the mouth breathing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one thing that seems to, to, uh, to have been a little bit more effective for me in situations like that is, um, actually like pursing the lips as you exhale. Mm-hmm. So you can almost like hear a sound mm-hmm. and assuming that you're partner beside you is an awaker thinking that it, you know, hits you or whatever, like, um, then it'll probably be fine. But those are probably things that I think the, one other thing I want to add to that is, um, I read a book, I've talked about it a lot, but, uh, the, there was a woman on, on my show a few months back that I interviewed Michelle Hensberger who lost her husband mm-hmm. in an accident mm-hmm. seven days after they got married. And, you know, this was, she had already been healed, like had read Sarno years ago and, um, and then when he passed away, everything comes back and then some, of course. Yeah. Um, and she had said, if I didn't have the tools to know where all this new pain or all this perceived new pain was coming from, then I would have freaked out. Right. Uh, she read a book called At Last a Life by a guy named Paul David, who he's not a medical doctor. He's very much an Ozanich kind of a guy, uh, even though he doesn't mention any of these people in there. But um, his is all on anxiety. And she mm-hmm. said that she just replaced whatever pain it was with the word anxiety yes. in that book. Yes. And he specifically talks about moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. And he said, a lot of times, like you lay there mad at yourself that you're not getting back exactly. to sleep because, yeah. because you're not going to sleep enough for whatever's coming the next day. And so he says, just being okay with it and saying like, it's, it's going to happen. It is what it is. Yes. And I just think like, it's such a like, wow, like surrender, huh? Cause we're yes. so used to just this is a bad situation yes. and, and you know, whatever's going to happen sucks and this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. we're not used to just being, okay, I'm cool with it. Right. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. It, the problem with insomnia more so is the judgments we have on the sleeplessness. Like we feel like this is the worst thing ever if I'm not sleeping and that just adds more pressure to your reservoir. So yep. just being okay with sleeplessness is a huge shift for some people that, can be simple enough that you can just be like, okay, well, I'm up, you know, I have a few patients who will just get up and read some books or, you know, they'll flip on the TV or whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be anything monk-like or meditative. Like you can just get up and walk around the kitchen, get a sip of water, whatever it is, like, you know, and trust that your body will let you sleep when it needs to. Yep. So. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's roll on with a couple of years. I, I yeah. recovered. I recovered a few of mine, but uh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna hear hear from some of your people. Yeah. So so yeah. So the first um, comment on my post in the group was on conditioned responses. She said, um, "Can't wait 
or can't wait, listened to Eddie's podcast yesterday and he said this was coming. So exciting. I'm curious <laughs> on how to get rid of conditioned responses. It was briefly mentioned with him and Dr. Batson. I am sure that um, that's a huge problem with me. Sitting, exercising, and too much walking are all issues that I deal with and I feel like they are conditioned responses. Thank you. Enjoy your trio. And so, yeah, so my take on conditioned responses, like I said earlier, is just you have to do the thing. Like you have to just do them with an attitude of every time I do this, I am getting closer to my goal. Um, and as you do it with that kind of attitude of fearlessness, knowing that you're not further damaging yourself, you're teaching your brain that this is no longer a problem activity. So I would say sit. Like sit, if, if 10 minutes is what triggers your pain when you're sitting, then sit for 15, you know? And while you're sitting for 15, like not getting into that, like that chatter that kind of comes up, that's like, oh my God, I can't handle this. And just turning toward it compassionately, like doing that somatic experiencing with it while you're sitting, you know? And if walking aggravates you, choosing to walk for a few minutes longer than, you know, when it starts to kick up and just kind of continually building up your time because our brain is just, it likes practice, you know? So practicing the thing that, that we were once afraid of that now we know better, like that is the way through in my opinion. What do you think, Eddie? I think of it as, uh, so you say so you jump into a, not a, not Lake Michigan, but like <laughs> you jump into like a normal lake and it's cold or even like a pool, like you could be at a hotel and you get into a pool, like a not one, not one of those ones that's like super heated, but, um, you get in and it's like freezing, right? Like the initial response is yes. getting the hell out of here. And then the more that you just chill and yes. just sit for a second, yes. like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Yes. And life in a lot of ways is, is like that. I think in general, that's another huge overarching, um, theme in Paul David's book mm. is like, uh, these anxious feelings, whatever they are, and in this case we're talking about pain or sleep or whatever, um, we're spending all the time fighting, 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 which again, fight or flight. And then on the episode of mine that aired day before yesterday, I had two examples where one was like a grizzly bear is coming after you and the stories that we hear on the news of people that survive stuff like that are the ones that just surrendered and played dead and that yes, was it. Yes, Not the ones that kept fighting it. And the, mm -hmm. the other thing, you ever seen Con Air with Nicolas Cage? Oh gosh, long time ago. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really bad. But uh, but I but like it's 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 bad. But it's like bad in a way where if it ever comes on TV, I watch it. Yes. Um, <laughs> like Terminator Two. A, yeah. Well, no, Terminator Two is fucking awesome. Oh, the, yeah, that's true. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. if it's on, I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but. Uh, but Con Air, like, there's this line in there where uh, Nicolas Cage's character needs to, he's trying to get um, to, like, a, a, I don't know, maybe it's, he's trying to, oh, he's trying to get syringes to his friend who's a prisoner who's trapped in an airplane. Yeah, yeah. And he's got these syringes to give him insulin. And he says this line, this isn't Mai Tais and Yahtzee, but let's do it. And he, like, runs through all these explosions and shit. And, like, that's, to, there's a, there's a, a term in extreme sports or jumping out of an airplane or whatever that's full send, like, or send it, right? Like you're sitting on the edge of an airplane and you know that you need to jump and do the skydive that you've paid $300 for, but you cannot bring yourself to get past that anxious feeling. Like the answer is saying, send it, which is the exact same thing as saying, fuck it, and just yes. doing it. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, again, that's a, it's more of an extreme example than leaning into something that you know is going to potentially yeah. feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And every time you do it, you're breaking that cycle. Right, right. Yeah, I feel like 
we have this notion as human beings in the Western world that comfort is the main goal. Like, like we are all seeking comfort. We all have our comfortable homes, hopefully. Um, and you know, our favorite place is usually on our comfortable couch, watching our comfortable Netflix. And it's like light growth doesn't occur in our comfort zone. It's like, we have to kind of jump through some fear. You got to jump through some uncomfortableness in order to get to your next level. If you have a next level that you want to get to. So, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, what do you got next? So, yeah. So this was one of the older questions. So this, um, comes from, uh, someone who said how to break the daily nightly pain cycle. Exactly the same symptoms at exactly the same times, pretty much. Reflux, but sore, painful throat, speaking pain, etc. Working with the amazing Jim Prusak on trying not to fear. And I think I'm making progress, but it still frustrates the hell out of me each time I open my mouth to speak and it hurts. Looking forward to this show. Two greats. So, my response to this is that, okay... I know you were trying to explain what's happening for you in the comments, but I think our language that we use to describe our pain is really powerful. So when we say, I have the same pain day in and day out, exactly, exactly, exactly the same every single day, every single day, it's like our brain is predictive in nature. And so when we expect the exact same at the exact time, like our brain kind of can become programmed and continue to be programmed by our thoughts about it. So, you know, and so then it'll kind of become this self-fulfilling prophecy. So I would really examine the language that you use to describe your symptoms to yourself. So one thing that I like to teach my patients is just saying the simple phrase up until now. So if you say the words up until now, I've had pain, you know, such and such and such, then you're kind of speaking a new reality into being rather than Like, this is how it's been. This is how it's always going to be. So that's the first thing I would try. And then the first thing I thought of when I saw this post was actually singing, which I know sounds like a weird answer, but singing is probably one activity that you could do that would be like pushing through that conditioned response in a way that's not only like using the exact area that's hurting, Um, but singing has also been studied quite a lot and been shown to really, um, bring up the emotions. So singing can be how we activate our emotional body. Um, it works out your throat muscles. It relaxes stuck energy. It can strengthen your immune response. And, um, yeah, so I would, even if you suck at singing, I would find a song that you love, like especially a song that evokes an emotional response for you and sing it once a day, like sing it twice a day. Oh, sorry. My dog. Your dog's singing. My dog is, <laughs> my dog activates his throat chakra a lot. So. Uh, I basically any movie or any song from A Star is Born gets me into that emotional. Yes. <laughs> That emotional realm that you're talking about. Uh, I can't speak on the singing thing. However, it makes me think of um, when we most recently had to move this or cancel this. And I had told you, I sent you that video mm-hmm. when I was sitting in that office and saying, my throat's fucked. Like, my voice doesn't work. I don't know what to tell you. And I have to do six hours of role play later today. So do we do it? Do we not do it? And we we had put it off. And I, and, um, I think I had texted you and had said, like, 
it's probably just a mix of a lot of the stuff. I miss my kids. I've been here all week. I don't really necessarily want to be here all the time. Like I know I have to do all this stuff and I'm kind of dreading it. And when I got off the plane on Friday, which was the next, it was toast Thursday. Like we were done. It was gone. Um, Friday when I got off the plane, my voice was back as if nothing had happened. Interesting. And people don't recover from a legit case of laryngitis in, you know, what, 20, 20 hours, 19 hours, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the way it was for me. So yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember texting you. I was like, let me know if your TMS clears up and I'll drive down to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 but, but again, like, uh, I, I was thinking recently about, um, and I talked about it on the most recent show with things like um, colds and illnesses for me, is that I used to, first of all, men get illnesses way worse than women oh, for the record. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the, man, the man cold. Uh, but um, basically like when I would get sick, I was, I would, I was off from everything for seven to 10 days. Didn't go to the gym, didn't do, I mean, I, I was not being a dad. The kids can come to me if they want to hug. Like, yes, yes. And I want dinner brought to the bed and go buy me some Gatorade, please. And, and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And just in the last, I don't know, 10 months or so, like I just haven't paid it much attention and just been mostly like this isn't, a, it's it's much ado about nothing. It's not a big deal. And these, these colds are starting to last 48 hours, maybe 36 hours in some cases. And the, the throat and the voice being gone was the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Yep. Your immune system is responding. What do you got? What do you got next? Okay, so this um, actually comes from the same person who... Uh, responded to my later post that was asking uh, for last-minute questions. And she said, I've heard to ignore the symptoms and go about your life as much as possible in order to combat or ditch the fear, showing the unconscious mind that you don't give a crap. And also heard on different podcasts to invite the pain in and not, not ignore it. Maybe distinguish between these two trains of thought. Maybe they're the same thing, just different perspective. Thank you both. Love you both. And so I feel like, well, what do you think, Eddie? Wait, can you read the first one again? I got yeah. the second one. Yeah. So, so the difference between ignoring the symptoms and going about your life or inviting them in and not ignoring it. Um, I think they're the same thing. Uh, like ignoring and inviting it sounds like it couldn't be it's like flipping two magnets and trying to put them together um where they're going to be pushing apart uh i think of them as very much the same thing because by ignoring it you're you're saying i'm not afraid of it and by inviting it you're saying i'm not afraid of it by pretending to have indifference you're saying you're afraid of it and so like i i think it's just one of those different strokes for different folks thing how is it that you look at it sort of thing and the the 99 episode of 2020, I think that pretty much the approaches were were the same thing. There was one guy and they were talking, he was in the gym, like doing like uh, dumbbell curls and stuff. And he was saying, you know, when it shows up, I just, you know, I, I yell at it. I tell it what I, oh, you know, yeah. what I really feel. And then it goes away. And then the other guy who I think was the lawyer was saying that, you know, when it shows up, I just, you know, I, I just ignore it and I go on with my day and, and that's it. Like these are two guys that both saw Dr. Sarno, both were in 10 or 20 years of pain both had very similar issues um, and both were, were cured within a week or two of the lecture. Mm-hmm. So two competing trains of thought. And so I think it's an each to their own. Yeah. 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 I feel like both have value in certain situations. Like if you're, if you've got some big event coming up and you're having an intense symptomatic day, 
than going to the event regardless and, and just ignoring the symptoms as best you can while you're doing this thing that brings you joy. That's a great thing. Um, but yeah, so Georgie Oldfield is someone who taught me to um, consider the pain, like look at the pain as if it were your inner child or like a young, sweet, innocent child. And when we have a child that's poking at us and saying, mommy, 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 or daddy, 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 ignoring it isn't always the best plan because that kid doesn't go away. The kid still wants your attention. And so if you've been ignoring or trying to ignore for a really long time, like keep pushing it away in an effort to avoid the pain, um, then it might be worth it to turn toward it and say, hello, like, how can yeah. I help you? What can I do to make you feel better? What do you need? Um, and that way you're giving it this compassionate attention that can help to kind of turn down those flight or flight signals. So I'll take it a step further with what I actually do in my actual real life with my actual oldest daughter is that uh, literally the, when we get in the car after school, the first thing I say to her is, how are you feeling today? Mm. And she has the opportunity to say most of the time it's I'm feeling happy today, but there are occasional I'm feeling sad today. Even if I never, you know, I pick her up, I get the same response. She runs to me. She's laughing. She's having a ball. But that that response may be different. And I think it's because she sees like the safety in the car mm -hmm. of dad asking you, how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. So you can use that same technique with yourself, even if you're not. Because I think that for a lot of people, even if you say that I'm not getting any better, I've been working on this for 10 years or whatever, I would venture to guess that like 95% of you have had some period of time, maybe it's 10 minutes where you've had a big wax and wane of pain. Maybe you've been pain-free for 10 minutes. Like, that's fine, that's mm -hmm. all that you need. Mm -hmm. But being proactive in the moments where you feel less pain or no pain to say, Caitlin, how are you feeling today? Or Eddie, how are you feeling today? And doing that with yourself or how yes. are you feeling right now yes. can I think be powerful too. Absolutely, absolutely, that's a beautiful insight. What do you got, Eddie? I don't know if I'm mature enough to read this, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it is from a woman, so I'm gonna just I, we were learning in my last uh, class when I was in Schomburg the difference between uh, – what did they say? Oh, deflecting and – what did they say? It was deflecting and something else. I'm going to deflect. But uh, it said um, – I have a topic for Sunday's episode. This was on February 6th or so whatever date that would have sure. been <laughs> um, with Caitlin about fears of intimacy. I had such a fear of sex that my husband and – husband and I were not intimate for six months. I'm seeing a mind-body doctor and he helped me overcome my fears. Since December, my husband and I reconnected and it's been amazing for my pain. No one seems to want to tackle the topic, but I would love to hear more and help others. Okay, I said I wasn't going to, going to participate in this one because I thought it was going to be all problematic and it's about a But she's saying like it's helped tremendously. Yes. So we'll start with you because um, I've, I've got an interesting theory in this from a man's perspective. So, so, so okay. So fear of intimacy was kind of like the main symptom. Yep. And she's recently reconnected. Yep. Okay. And so was I missed it? Was there pain involved in there, or just just said fears of intimacy? Fears Didn't of intimacy. say anything about it's just this fear of sex. I don't know what that. I don't know whether that means I have pelvic pain and I'm afraid it's going to get worse, mm -hmm. or I just have a fear of getting close to somebody. It's it's vague. Yeah. Okay. So if it's pain, you know, there's a lot of. Um, like 
you don't want that moment in your life, the intimate moments in your life to hurt, right? It's like we all kind of avoid pain unless you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> like um, yeah, yeah, most yeah, of the time we don't want, you know, that area to, to hurt more. And so then we avoid it and we develop a fear. But if it's just fear of the intimacy itself, um, you know, it's like I wonder what her own relationship to herself is like what's her relationship to her own body you know yeah. is she um does she have body image issues does she have um like a general dislike of her own female form and is that kind of preventing her from being vulnerable with another person um and sometimes like like i've struggled with that my whole life and so sometimes just getting in touch with your own body in a pleasurable way like not necessarily masturbation or anything like that, but just like getting sensational with your body and just kind of doing almost like a body worship. There's a practice that I've done in the past called Abhyanga, and it's like this Ayurvedic self-massage technique where you kind of like just like kind of worship every part of your body. You start at the feet with oil and you kind of go all the way up and you just kind of give some loving attention to every single part of you. And sometimes that kind of a practice, that kind of a self-loving practice can help you reconnect with yourself and then kind of get you more in touch with, you know, your own like connection with others. So, so I would say work on your relationship to self first and then see what blossoms in your relationship with your partner. But it sounds like she's already kind of on her way. Yeah. And she hasn't said anything, but I, I told my response and it says that she hasn't even read it yet, but, um, my response had said that Dr. Margaret Chan and I talked like a month and a half ago. I had interviewed her back in maybe like November or December, and she was one of – are you familiar with yeah. her, Dr. Chan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she was in the All the Rage documentary and all that stuff. Um, she had said in the interview it was like a very much like an afterthought. Like it was – she said something about it for 30 seconds, and we didn't go into depth because we were already running like an hour and 40 minutes. But she had said that there was a huge connection to her between the id – like the inner child and sex. And I think that part of that has to do with like the reptilian brain. It only wants pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't go into depth. And one thing I asked her, I postulated, I said, okay, I have this sleeping app. I called her and I said, I have this sleeping app and I'm going to get a few more weeks slash months of data. And then I want to do a show just on that topic. And um, I had said what I'm, what I'm seeing early indications with a few weeks of this app is that there is a massive correlation between when my what it gauges is my sleep quality the morning after my wife and I have sex versus when we don't. And when we do, that quality says that it's between, say, 93 and 100 percent. And if not, and the longer that it's been, it might go in 70, it might go 60, it might go 58, 57. Like when I was in Illinois and I don't feel my my hypothesis I don't feel that closeness if I'm gone. Even just the act of being next to somebody that I mm. love, but being in a hotel bed by myself, I don't think my sleep got better than 60% all five days that I was there. Mm -hmm. Despite sleeping nine hours in a night, uh, despite being in a bed by myself, despite getting to eat whatever I want and not having kids clinging all over me and doing whatever it is that I want and driving a Range Rover as a rental car, right? So like, you would think that all the things that should create uh, really good sleep quality are there, but they in fact were not. And I was talking about this with somebody recently and I had, I was telling, uh, her about how that perception of men for a long time, especially like when we're teenagers, 
and we're in our early 20s and the thought is like all men care about is sex, right? And I've thought about this for a long time and I'm thinking I wonder if it's because men don't feel really at liberty in general to feel close to people. Like we don't, we have a tough time opening up, we have a tough time being vulnerable, we have a tough time really explaining how we feel or being able to put a vocabulary or a label on how it is that we feel. Um, and so the only time to which we can feel close to somebody, probably in a lot of ways at like a subconscious level, is by the act of having sex. It's you one-on-one, -on -one, the lights are off, there's nobody there to interfere, and this is when you have the opportunity to feel close and vulnerable. There is no bigger vulnerability mm. than being naked in front of somebody, yes, right? Yes. Um, and so that's that's one thing that I was thinking about recently. Um, and so the the uh, and you know this could be why some men are are sexaholics or some men view a lot of pornography or so like there's there's something that they're having to satisfy that's that's a, an unneed or an unmet need. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I was just that was just kind of running across my brain recently is like is there something to this thought of you know, do men feel safe being vulnerable? There's been, you know, we, we grew up, we, and thankfully this is, I think, I think the guard is, I think like my generation maybe was the last generation of kids that would have grown up. My dad was not like this at all, but grown up with a dad who said like, you know, crimes for pussies or like whatever it is that that mm -hmm. over toxic masculinity was. I don't really see too much of it now. Like the right. men that I know that have sons don't talk like that, right. but there's a lot of male friends that I have who's, who I observed whose dads did talk like that. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, thankfully I think that that's changing, but that was something I wanted to, to add into that person's question. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I wish I had more clarity on the question. I would answer it more clearly then. Um, but I would love to hear her follow up if we do this again. So, okay. Do you have another? Nope. I am, uh, I'm, I'm, keep, I'm running through like, like my, my DMS, but I think the bulk of them went to you cause, uh, oh. yeah, I think the bulk of them went to you. Okay, so, um, all right, so my next one, she says, please talk about dealing with flares when you've been going along pretty well and the flare seems to come out of nowhere. You've been doing the work, caring for yourself, feeling the feelings, and then bam, pain returns or tosses a new symptom at you. So, I think with this one, the most important thing to note here is that just because you had a flare and symptoms have risen again, it doesn't indicate that you're doing something wrong. I think a lot of people have a lot of self-judgment when they have a flare, thinking that, oh, this flare must mean that I'm dropping the ball somewhere or that I'm not doing the work right. And that's just another like kind of part of the perfectionistic attitude with symptoms is that if I'm not 100% or if I have symptoms linger longer than everybody else or seemingly everybody else, or if I have a flare, that means that I've messed up. And so I would say just kind of tune in and see if that's part of your inner dialogue, whether unconscious or conscious. Um, and if we slip into this place of self-judgment, just kind of asking like, like why not turn this into an opportunity to just learn more about yourself like every time I get a new symptom personally I like get excited like I feel like oh my gosh this is another way that I can learn about my deeper truth or, or give myself some rest time or nurture myself more because I've been neglecting myself it's always an opportunity and I think that if we can learn to 
accept any new flare or new symptom as an opportunity to grow and get deeper with yourself, then each time it comes around, it's not so triggering and it doesn't make you feel like you're failing. So that's my answer. What do you think? I would agree. And the thing that I would probably add uh, would be one thing that it, it makes me think about is uh, Ozanich talked a lot in his book about he would have a great day and then he would have like the world's worst day regarding like pain. And there would be no reason for it. Like he's starting to do the exploration stuff. He wasn't a journaling guy. And at least when he wrote the book, he wasn't a meditation guy. I think he is now. Um, here's what I'll say is that if I get a flare like the one that you're describing, a lot of times, like early on, I would correlate the amount of pain I was in to uh, how much work I wasn't doing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, um, like it means that there's something big that I'm not addressing mm -hmm. just because the pain is so bad. And also I would say that, um, the basically like the worse the pain is, the longer it's going to stick around. Mm. But it's for me, it's almost like the worse that the pain is in the moment, the faster it seems to go away. Yeah. Like, so you can go from a hundred miles an hour to zero miles per hour within a matter of minutes in some cases. Um, so I think that to me, it's, it's, again, it's another much ado about nothing and take Caitlin's advice. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I always think to myself when I when I listen to your podcast and mine on back to back days, I go, not only is she always so much better prepared than me, what what the things that she's talking <laughs> about, but she's so much kinder and gentler than I feel like I am. So, you know, I don't you don't just I just arbitrarily will just drop the F bomb like it ain't no thing. But, you know, you've got this and you can see like the iTunes reviews for you are very much like this kind heart like this kind of stuff. Nobody said that I'm abrasive or anything, but that's just how I see it. <laughs> Well, you've got the divine masculine going and I've got the divine feminine. That's, that's perfect. So I, uh, my, my journalism teacher or my former, when I was in high school, my journalism teacher, she owns three yoga studios in the area. And a couple summers ago, she was like really pushing hard for me to go get certified for, to do yoga at the studio. She's like, we could use like some masculine. I'm not saying that like the male ones that we have are not masculine, but I think that it could really add a lot to get somebody with your temperament and attitude yeah. teaching yoga class. And I was thinking like, there's going to be a lot of people that really don't like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, who cares what anybody sure, thinks? Who cares? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So my next one is I'm having a lot of trouble with the journaling. How do you go deep enough to have a shift? Ooh, I want to take this one. Yeah. I want to take this one yeah. first. So uh, life has been heavy recently for me. And I will say that um, not in any particular way other than maybe. So I'm going on this trip to Palm Springs tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's with my wife's company who, for those of you who don't know, I got my wife into this company. And it was the company that I loved dearly for years and years and years. And then we had kind of like a rough falling out the company and I and I departed and to my own accord by the way but I departed and uh, ever since then going to events like holiday parties and things like that that happened there I just feel so uncomfortable and my wife will say like do you want to go or do you not want to go and I'll always say I want to go because I know that like you know that anxiety or that anger that I'm feeling like I need to go to it mm. but then I get there and I have a total like a freeze response and I come off like a real prick and like um so this is with her company. We're go for the next four nights. We're going to be with her company. And so I'm sure that's been weighing on me mm. enough. Right? And there's been some other things like uh, I, I feel like I'm 
not as good of a weightlifter as I was, which sounds so stupid, but it's like when you work seven years on one thing and then like you don't have the kind of progress that you once were having. I am, I am in phenomenal shape, but it's the certain lifts that are a part of the sport that I have regressed on a little bit. And so, you know, there's just been stuff and my, my oldest is going to kindergarten soon and my youngest for some reason can't figure out how to walk yet. All kids are different, but like for at 14 months old, most kids are walking and that's just how it is. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff, right? And I could feel it. Life just kind of feels heavy, right? Like I was, I've been working out the last few days and I've just been feeling like not myself, like in, in workouts and stuff. And so I, I, I was thinking, okay, like I'm not a journaler. I don't do it regularly. I like to believe that for myself, it's like, um, almost like checking in with myself in real time seems to be something that suits me pretty well. But, uh, when things get too heavy, I will, I will do something active. And in this case it was journaling, but I, you know, for the first couple of sessions, I would spend 20, like journal, like Nicole Sack style and spend 20 minutes mm-hmm. writing, um, just free writing or whatever. And I noticed that in a lot of ways it's, it's like, um, to me, it's like the difference between a dear diary and an excavation. So the first couple of times it was a dear diary. Here's what's going on. I'm upset about this. I'm, you know, whatever. But when I, when I changed it up and I started writing, uh, the beginning of every sentence was, I feel, I feel, I feel mm-hmm. very Adam Heller esque, mm-hmm. not a list. And he always says to ask yourself out loud, uh, what emotion am I feeling right now? And then you say out loud, I feel this emotion. But sometimes like, he, his big thing is don't attach a story to it. People get too attached to stories. If they're mm-hmm. mad about something, they explain why and they feel like they have to and they kind of lose the, the momentum of the, emo- of the emotion. For me, this was 20 minutes of – I mean as, as many sentences as you could write that was 10 words or less. So I'm not telling a story. But every one of them started with I feel. And when I finished, I remember thinking, oh, like what a weight mm. off my sh-. And even like something I was – TMI. I was sitting there. I was shirtless when I was doing this. And I remember thinking like as I was first typing and looking down, because one of the things that I tend to get pretty inflamed at when I when I start feeling like life's getting a little heavy is like – and this is probably why I got a thoracic outlet syndrome diagnosis at one point. But my, my pecs will get really – they'll get very – tense and there'll be a lot of tenacity to the, to the muscle tissue. And I'll also feel it in my neck, probably at the scalenes, which is where that brachial plexus pushes through. And that's when people get diagnosed with it. And, uh, I remember when I looked down, I just like, everything was so calm and I just felt like, God, like what a, what a relief just for 20 minutes to say, I feel this way about this. I feel this way about that. Mm-hmm. Um, journaling for me is different than I think it is for, for most people that try it. And particularly for most people that really seem to struggle mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my question to her would be, like, are you doing the journaling to get a shift? Like, because a lot of times we, we, we want to journal because we think that it will give us a result, right? Like, everyone's kind of doing it with the intention of, if I get a shift while I do this, I will get rid of all my pain. When... I think that that's kind of the wrong kind of direction to take with your intention. Um, And instead of just wanting to get to that result, just saying like, like, okay, I would like to expressively write so that I can get in touch with myself, you know? So kind of just changing the intention behind it can be helpful. And then also like, do you need a shift during your journaling practice? Like I personally, when I journaled, and I journaled daily for probably three months in the beginning. Um, it was mostly lists. Like it was just like daily lists of like what's yep. making me angry today or, you know, like, 
And it wasn't anything deep or heavy. Like I rarely took an item off my list and delved into it. It was mostly just list creating. And then I never really felt any huge emotional shifts during those moments. And I don't think I needed to. Like I think that that exercise in and of itself was helpful. Um, but I didn't experience either an emotional shift or a pain shift just from doing that, but I still like that I did it. So, um, so yeah, so I don't know that it's entirely even necessary, you know? Yeah. And for me, like, um, when I describe it, it's, uh, it's just like a tremendous, like weight off the shoulders to me. Like that's where I can sort of sigh at the end and I can just say, like mm-hmm. I like I like I can start to notice like the breathing slow. There's this Ozana tells a story in his when he had because it for him it was the waxing and waning, waxing and waning for like a year and a half or two years, mm-hmm. and then there was almost like this moment where the pain was just gone, and he like he noticed like his breathing slowed down suddenly. Mm-hmm. Like, and I to me it's like okay, well, parasympathetic ner- nervous system just like turned on, like fi- like finally two mm-hmm. years later it turned mm-hmm. on, um, and I. Another movie reference. Seen The Martian? Um, the Martian with who's in that? Matt Damon. Oh yes, I have. Yes. Goes to Mars. Yeah. So <laughs> towards the end of the movie, they tell him you need to get four thousand kilos off of that off of that uh, spacecraft or whatever in order to be able to do what we need you to do, and he's just literally like tossing stuff out the window mm-hmm. to be able to get to where he needs to go. That's in a lot of ways how I see journaling, yeah. right? Like. The, the end goal was not get rid of the entire spacecraft. You need to get rid of some of the guts of it. And um, I'll also add, like, journaling without a destination I think is critical. You pretty much had hit the nail on the head a second ago. But um, the best, some of the best motorcycle rides that I've ever had have been the ones with no destination. Yes. You're just on the road and you're just going and that's it. Like, that's what I'm doing in Palm Springs on Monday. There is – Nowhere to go. I'm going to hop on the interstate and wherever I end up, I end up. Mm -hmm. I'll drive for three or four straight hours and that'll be it. Um, And then I'll turn around and I'll come back home. And uh, that's kind of how I think that anything in this realm needs to be treated. Not as a, I'm going to solve this because Nicole Sachs has said the quote a million times, but um, we're like a take a pill society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're a kid and you scrape your knee, you go and you see mom and she puts Neosporin on it and then a bandaid on it and then boom, it feels better. The tissue is still damaged, but for some reason you feel better. Mm -hmm. Like Zoe will have a massive thorn. She's, this happens like once every three months, like a big sticker, big thorn, like, and she will not let me pull that, that thing out. But if I put a bandaid on her thumb, her thumb's better. Yeah. So like it's the, it's it's just being able to uh, to take action, your perception of it. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I don't think a destination is the answer. Um, so yeah, yeah, journaling with intent. Yeah, is uh, yeah. yeah with intent to just get to know yourself, like with intent to tune into what you need today in this moment, yeah. rather than like I'm gonna journal the pain away. Or like I had yeah. one other comment in my group a couple of weeks ago that was like, how do I journal this out of me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, emotions are always going to keep rising. You know, it's not like you're suddenly like free from sadness for the rest of your life or you've journaled all the anger out of you. It's like it's always going to kind of come back up in opportunities. But yeah, in the um, Sarno, the there somebody put it on YouTube, but his actual like the I don't even think you can buy it on DVD, but you can buy off his legacy website, like the VHS of his lecture. And somebody put that on YouTube. And there's I mean. There's 10 times in that where the actors that are playing the people mm-hmm. with back pain mm-hmm. say, I'm a very angry person. I go home and I punch my walls. Why aren't I out of pain? Mm-hmm. And he says, 
whatever's in there is not going to come out. <laughs> right. So like, just, just recognize it. Like it's an unconscious process right. and he tells you to participate in his program and do his exercises and things like that. But don't expect there to ever be a moment where you say, Ooh, that's it. That's the one. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that, 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 that's, that, that's it. Uh, when I get mocked on social media for this stuff, one of the repetitive things that keeps coming back is, Oh, I just think, I just think happy thoughts and all my pain or chronic illnesses will go away. And I'm like, it's the opposite Look. actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> You got 65 episodes you can go listen to that says that's not the case. And if you don't want to do that, that's on you. But if you want to keep seeing a doctor two, three days a week, I've been there and I understand and I feel bad for you. And I like there was a period of time where somebody said something similar to me where he had said he didn't present it in the best way. But it was uh, normally I find that when people stop thinking about this stuff, it goes away. And I remember thinking, fuck you, you're saying that's in my head. But like maybe he's a Sarno disciple and he hadn't gone into his story because I was so not willing to hear it. And I left. Right. Yeah. Was... When the student is ready, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. So another question. Um, she says, hopefully we all know by now that healing is not linear. I accept that fully, but is that what makes or but, but is that what makes the bad days so hard is when I've had good days and then a symptom-rich day completely completely throws me down. Practicing gentleness and acceptance, but it's still not clicking. What am I missing? And then she also plugged a request to have a Caitlin and Eddie retreat. <laughs> What's in the middle of, of us geographically? What is it like? like uh, it's like, like Montana? Yeah, Colorado, Montana. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go to Montana. I would say Colorado. I mean, I would go to the West Coast. Like, I feel like, yeah, West Coast is a much more appropriate place for a, a retreat than the Midwest, anyway. Jer- Jeremy Whitaker, who was on uh, this podcast, wrote the still the best recovery story I've ever read. But he had years and years and years and years and years of back pain. Red Sarno's book. Um, he had a very, very fast cure, but he has this great story about meditating on his dock. And suddenly he says, like, his awareness, he's, he did meditation every day, you know, one or two times a day, not because of Sarno, but just because he thought this was the thing to do as a human, nothing to do with the pain. Did it for years and years and years. But that meditation didn't do anything for his symptoms until he read Sarno's book. Right. And he said there was this moment where his awareness hit that spot on his back that had been killing him for 20 years. And suddenly it just lifted and it was completely gone. And he yeah. said he just sat there and just wept. And uh, he's got a cabin in Colorado. I mean, we just do it there. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a good plan. Jeremy, yeah. we're coming for you. <laughs> uh, so, um, so with regards to this question, okay, so one thing I like to remind people of is that when you have consistent good days, the day that pain comes feels so much worse just because you now have the contrast of the good day that is right now next to the bad day, you know? So it's like your pain scale kind of resets. Your resilience kind of is lessened because before you were kind of used to this high pain level, but now you've had the experience of the good days, which first and foremost is proof that you are okay. Right. And then, um, and then another like question I would ask her is, are you viewing the symptom rich days as wrong? You know, it's another one of those like, okay, I feel like, and this is something that I experienced when I first had my first few flares where it's like, oh my God, I have a podcast about this. Like why, you know, like what's wrong with me? Why, like, 
why do I suddenly not know what I thought I knew or whatever, you know? So you go into this like cycle of self-judgment. And so first notice if you're doing that. And, um, and then if there is something that is a part of your like consistent daily environment that is still not pleasant for you, then there might be opportunities for those symptom rich days to come more often. And this person I know, like, I know she has a full-time job. I know she has kids. Like I know she has a husband. I know there's all these things in your environment that are going to be triggering sometimes, you know? So it's like your brain is just always trying to keep you safe. So just getting into this place of like knowing that of course these things in my life are causing this flare and it will leave, you know, it's TMS is always, when we get to that chronic state. So the rough days, you know, when they come, the more accepting we can be of the rough days as they come, the more we, uh, the less we react to them down the road. So that's my answer in a nutshell. What do you think, Eddie? Um, I, so it is proof and I would just have some confidence in that. Uh, what I would also say is, um, it's almost like the like the TMS force field. This is it's like neuroplasticity to a T, basically mm-hmm. what what she's describing. But in the beginning, and for anybody that has you know struggled through like the abyss of chronic pain for a long time without any answers, especially, I mean, even getting the really bad like slingshot effect when you go to a doctor and they give you a different diagnosis, and then you feel worse after that, or you go get a mm-hmm. massage and you feel worse after mm-hmm. that. It's like that that bonding of uh, pain is really really strong. And then I feel like once you start doing, you know, doing this type of work, whether it's journaling or meditation or reading or knowledge or whatever it is that you want to do, um, it's like that force field's kind of breaking away. It gets a little bit less strong. And then there's like big gaping holes in it once you start having three or four or five days of continuous pain freeness. And so it's like those patterns and those conditioned responses and the clen- the unconscious clenching that your autonomic nervous system is doing, like it's lessening and it's lessening and it's lessening. And the wor- and again, like in the heat of the moment, it's very tough to to reconcile this. But the more that you, if, if it happens again and you dread it, like that's fight or flight, and you're act, you're just activating right. again. It's right. the grizzly bear. It's like the grizzly bear response. Like everything in us wants to say that this is a that this is a threat. I mean, I I feel in a similar way when I run into certain people that I don't necessarily want to see, and I clench up and I get that feeling and that kind of thing. But like. Um, you know, if I know it's coming, it's, it, it, I don't know, it's inherently going to be less of a threat. And so by not putting up the fight as hard as it may seem in the moment, like that's the necessity of it is just, again, like much ado about nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I always say I have an open door policy with flares. Like, and I feel like sometimes people think that flares equal regression and I don't think that's possible. I think life is like this spiral and we keep getting to different layers of the spiral And so this next flare is your next transformative opportunity rather than something that indicates that you're failing, you know, still don't need fixing. So, okay. So then the next question says how to feel and integrate emotions and then, and then let go of them. I have a feeling I'm trying too hard to let go. I feel like it's a passive process I lost touch with. Any words of advice, Eddie? How to feel and integrate emotions. Um, What I think, I mean, I got to make sure I understand the question, but what I think she's trying to say, how I would interpret it if I got that, um, 
is there's it's probably been so much repression and so much over such a long period of time that you don't even feel like you probably can't feel the highs very well anymore. You can't feel the lows anymore. You're just sort of there. It's the Russell Wilson went to Wisconsin. So are you familiar with Russell Wilson yeah. at all? Yes. Okay. Yes. He was so my he, so quarterback in fantasy last year. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the, so he's the Seahawks quarterback and he, I used to call myself, uh, this is when I was, you know, I was allergic to dairy and my knee flared up every couple of months and I would have like kind of these little annoying things that would come up all the time. I saw myself as like the Russell Wilson of sales, like, Something happened, and I wouldn't. I'd never get too high. He does when he throws a when he does an amazing play. He doesn't really celebrate. He just yeah. onto the next thing. And when he throws the worst pick in the world, or he throws the ball away, or he takes a sack that he shouldn't take, no big deal. He gets up and he and like it's tough because like as a professional athlete, he it would be tough for him to stand up and get really mad at himself about doing something, or or get you know overly hyped when he when he throws a touchdown. But that ultimately like trying to stay so calm, cool and collected as a society, we say that that is the, that's the right thing to do. Being able to stay, you know, cool, like you're calm and you, everything's in control, but on the inside, we all have that need. And so that ego side of us, that's on the outside that says, don't let them see you sweat. Don't, don't let them think that you're getting cocky, like all this kind of stuff. You try to internalize that. And like, that's where this collision happens. That's the divided mind that mm. Dr. Sarno talks about is the outside of you that says, I need to show everybody that I'm level-headed. So I'm going to try and integrate that into the inside of me. And Eddie, you're okay. You're, you're level-headed. But the reality is we all have the five-year-old inside of us that says like, fuck this. Like I'm pissed. Right. And, um, you just need to be able to do like truly like you need to take those forces away from each other um, a little bit and recognize that like what's going on on the outside isn't necessarily what's going on on the inside and have that be okay with it. Like I think of, of what she's describing as it's like she's a big block of concrete. And I'm sitting there with a like a chisel in the end of a screwdriver. Like she needs to have like the chisel with like a sledgehammer and uh, – and be able to start knocking some of that concrete apart. Cause that's where I think I was is what you're describing in the very beginning. Like before I found the Sarno stuff was like, I didn't feel too great about anything and I didn't feel too bad about anything. I was just in the middle mm-hmm. and that's how, that's how I felt like I had to be as a dad. And that's how I felt like I, like I can't be down about something cause then Zoe's going to be down about something. Like I just, I just can't. So you just get into this pattern of that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the freeze response is Dr. or Steve Ozanich says that this freeze response is TMS. He's the only author that has made that statement, but I agree with it. And I think that's what she's describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with regard to the trouble letting go of emotions. Okay. So here's how I view emotions. Now I feel like when we have an emotion arise, if we are willing to feel it, if we're willing to, it's just, like energy in motion, right? It's just energy that wants to come through us and be felt and seen. And, and then by feeling and seeing it, we're integrating it. So if we are willing and open to accepting whatever is arising within us without judgment, then we naturally let go of them. Like they only, they move through us. They don't get stuck. You know, it's only when emotions get stuck that we're probably resisting them and we want to push them away. And so then it's hard to let go because we're trying to resist and let go at the same time. And so if we're just constantly allowing them to course through our system and moving through them with, with total awareness that this is a normal human thing to feel, um, then we naturally are able to let them go. So we don't actively have to let go, I think, um, when it comes to our emotions. 
So um, I'm going to add to uh, because I've seen this guy asked about on um, in TMS pages and such as this doctor. I think his name is Dr. Jonathan Kuttner. I think he's from Australia or New Zealand or something like that. But um, when I was obsessed with trigger points back in the day, people ask a lot about trigger points. When I get obsessed about trigger points back in the day, he has this video where he talks about one of the ways that people will quickly get trigger points is the act of um, contracting a muscle and then length, lengthening a muscle during contraction. So think about like you're doing a bicep curl or you're flexing your bicep and then you're also like you're trying to flex it but also letting the arm go. He would say trigger points will develop in this way. Um, that's kind of what I think about what when you're, when you're trying to let it go and pull it in or 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 whatever it was the terminology that you would use a second ago. Um, I don't know. That's that's one thing that I think of. Basically, like trouble brews when you do it when you try to do too much at one time. I don't know. Right. Uh, which, by the way, trigger points aren't going to matter a whole lot if your body chemistry is off anyway. So if you're in fight or flight, it's very easy to get them anyway. Um, but if you're out of fight or flight, they should just go away. I wanted to make sure I added that. Yes. PSA: You do not need to do anything about your trigger points. <laughs> But man, do I own a lot of books and balls and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I've, so. I donated my lacrosse balls uh, uh, about two years ago. So that and my I, traction machine. I, I bet between, yeah, e-stim and rollers and all yeah. that stuff in my garage. I bet, I, I bet I'm $1,000 deep in yeah. equipment, equipment and literature, Things unfortunately. Things fix myself, yes. <laughs> Okay, so next question. I've been listening to you guys for about a month, and I love the podcasts. I'm new to journaling. I usually try to do it in the evening. I think it helps on those days when I'm really frustrated, but not sure how to approach it when I've had a good day and don't feel like dredging stuff up. Um, I think it's similar to what I talked about earlier with the 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 um, pre. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the oh, the proactive approach. Zoe gets in the car and I ask you, Zoe, how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. As opposed to waiting for her to have the outburst and come and tell me that she's feeling really upset. So um, I think it's still worth doing. You're having success with it, obviously. Mm -hmm. So so you know, continuing to do it because there's still um, there's like I mean, you're human, and this is the it's the condition of being human. So there's still something there. You don't want to wait till the reservoir gets full and start having symptoms and panic again. Mm -hmm. So if you've got 20 free minutes, which all of us do, turn off your phone. Um, <laughs> not now. Wait till this episode's over and then turn off your phone. Um, everybody's got 20 minutes, and I would say uh, do it on the good days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the experience many times where I would start journaling about my awesome day. Like I would journal about my great experiences and all the good stuff. And then suddenly a thought would come through that was like, Oh, but I guess I am feeling this about this, you know, and I would suddenly, it would suddenly turn into, Oh, I guess I'm having to process this now. And so, so start with the good stuff and see where a stream of consciousness takes you. And there's no wrong way to do it. So what's next? Next. Um, okay. Okay, so we kind of covered this, but I'll just ask. She says, in the light of symptoms or a flare, what if even after deep reflection, we can't really pinpoint what's bothering us psychologically? What do we do? Um, still no principal emotion behind it. I'd say uh, I, I like the list idea you brought up earlier. Um, when I interviewed Brad Gutting for the podcast, that's what ultimately got him permanently out of pain was – making lists about things, uh, trying to find the one big pitch that's going to get the home run is yeah. probably not going to happen anyway. So yeah. you're just going to drive yourself nuts. Yes. Yes. It's unconscious. So I wouldn't try to dig 
hard at all for it. And just, just the simple knowledge that this is a psychological pain. Like that's all you need to keep in mind and trust, like just trust that your body will let go of it in good time. So Eddie, how, whenever you have a symptom arise, how long does it usually stick around nowadays? Not long. Um, at most, like a few hours, maybe. Oh, wow. Cool. And like I said, like a lot of times the when it feels the worst, there's this one, like the place where I seem to get it the worst is uh, this spot in my mid-back. Like it's on the right side of the spine. And man, when it comes, it comes. And it's like really bad, like really bad. But usually when it's really bad is when it goes away the fastest. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing that ever seems to linger for days and days. Uh, yeah. it, it just doesn't happen anymore. It it hasn't really, I mean, it has probably hasn't happened since I was maybe two months after I had read the book for the first time. Like it was a, I was a good like 20 or 30% down on, on pain within the first month or two. Um, and that was just with the knowledge part of it. Uh, but yeah, there's not really anything that seems to last for days right. anymore. Right. But we'll see. We'll see after this four day trip. With my <laughs> <old> trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good to, rem- it's good to just remember that like we're talking chronic here. Like we're talking chronic symptoms, like normal little flares here and there, normal human pain, like is going to happen and it's okay. And you're going to be fine. And, you know, just kind of keeping that in mind, I think is so important because we, we tend to worry that every new symptom that arises is going to last for 10 years, like our back pain did or whatever. So, you know, you've got the knowledge that you need and just kind of trusting that you don't need to dig anything up. Of course, life is kind of affecting your body right now, but just trusting that by living life normally, you'll get your pain will leave again. So, and that hyper that hypervigilance is not helpful at all. Mm-mm. It's like when my when my uh, Michelle Hensberger used the term when my pain got so bad I couldn't ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. And for me, that happened the week that I was going to be cleared for all medical activity after having shoulder surgery that I probably didn't need, but. Um, during the rehab process, like when you, when you have a major reconstructive reconstruct and a major rebuild of a, of a joint. And then, uh, you're going through rehab. Like I'm, I was going to rehab two, three, four times a week and then doing two sessions at home by myself. And every time I would come in and talk to the physical therapist, he would say, okay, how's it feeling? Has anything changed? Has anything felt different? And you're just so tuned in now. Like, mm. like, Oh, I feel tightness in my deltoid. Like you have to report it. And mm-hmm. so, um, I was so in, I was doing that for five months, four four or five months when I was doing the rehab. And so that's just what I was used to being so in tuned. It makes me wonder like if, uh, let's say that I didn't have shoulder surgery and I still had the incident where, where I started having spasms constant. Like it was like, literally it was a moment. Like I was doing pull-ups on a pull-up, on a pull-up rig and suddenly I had probably three, four spasms in my back, spasm in my neck. And I was like, what the hell just happened? Like my whole spine must've just crumbled. Um, if I hadn't gone through the rehab process and didn't have this four or five months of condition vigilance around every little thing in my body, would, would it have just gone away the next day? Cause I wouldn't have been so afraid of it. Right. Uh, and then I spent the next nine or 10 months being so afraid of mm-hmm. every little twitch and, mm-hmm. you know, 25 doctors later, I find Sarno's book and it was like, Oh, like, I just literally neuro like I yeah. created these neural pathways over 10 months and how hard it is to undo those for some people it's easy but for me I know that it wasn't an overnight thing at all. Right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, where energy, where attention goes, energy flows. Is that the saying? Uh, okay. I have got five minutes. Okay. And go- then I'm going to pick the babes up. And okay. by babes, I mean my, my young daughters, whom I love very much. I'm not talking about anybody else. <laughs> okay, so let me pick one. Um, oh, okay. Can we channel our perfectionism toward being completely pain-free rather than 80% or 90% better. Joe Tunyon said he didn't settle for 90. On the other hand, you, Caitlin, suggest being kind and gentle with oneself rather than putting pressure on ourselves. How do we best reconcile these two different perspectives? Um, you mean, how, do you, how would you be okay with not being 100%? Like... How would you be okay so, with accepting like, less? She's, she's wondering if we can use our perfectionism to get to 100%. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I don't think I so. Think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think like the, the perfectionism, like that's just a trait that has to go. Yes. Un- yes. Unfortunately. And like it's tough to let that trait go, but that's an ego thing. And mm-hmm. um, I mean in my life other than, you know, big fat paychecks, basically like perfectionism hasn't gotten me anything positive outside of that. And by the way, I spend money on nothing. This t-shirt was free for my neighbor. The shirts that I'm wearing were $8 from old Navy and I don't, I don't really buy new anything. So making a bunch of money in sales, uh, over the course of the three or four most stressful years of my life, uh, was not worth it at all. It didn't give me anything positive outside of just saying I've got money in my bank account. So being a perfectionist in anything hasn't really hasn't served me yeah. well at all. Yeah. So, yeah. So my answer to that would be like, okay, if we truly understand what TMS means, what it means is that we are already healed and that we are already perfect within our bodies. So at 90%, it's like, you're like almost there. And so caring about that last 10%, I don't think is going to serve you. So I just always trust that I am 100% and that if pain arises and I get below that 100%, that that means that I either need to do some self-care or do some reflection or, you know, get in touch with my feelings a little bit. Um, But I just kind of know innately that I am for the most part going to be pain-free most of the time. That's what I accept in my reality. So good perspective yeah so so there's a few more questions maybe we'll tackle these in may we'll try to meet up again well, let's do one more i got one more okay one more i just i gotta i gotta get them by 4 30 and they're 90 they're 90 seconds away the oh, real four okay. i know it's 6 30 where you are but the real 4 30 oh, gotcha. on- <laughs> <laughs> okay so last one um how do we instill a feeling of safety inside ourselves, especially in the midst of symptoms? Um, I think, actually, this is a perfect question because I think it really sums up everything we've been talking about where you need to send a signal to your nervous system that you're okay. And the uh, biggest thing, obviously, is not, um, not getting panicked and freaked out when symptoms happen or occur. But I think that this is a great opportunity for things like, like breathe, like breathing, like it could be meditative type breathing, or it could be uh, Dr. Wales uh, four seven eight. It could just be five minutes of 
in through the nose, out, out through. Because I'll tell you, like at first, I I would try and really get uh, geek out on the like the physiology behind breath, like the vagus nerve interaction and all that kind of stuff. But then I thought about it just more, um, more just in the simple sense of, again, if a if a grizzly bear was coming after me. There's no way I would have the opportunity to uh, sit here and do five minutes worth of breathing. Right. So I would have to be safe in order to do this. And that's the message I think that is being sent to the nervous mm. system, how I see it. Like right. vagus nerve aside, the, the two branches of the, of the autonomic nervous system aside, to me it's just if you were truly in jeopardy, you would not be able to sit here for five minutes and right. take your sweetest time doing breathing. Right. That, yep. That's what I Yeah. I always like to say, okay, how do you know you're safe? Look at the room that you're sitting in and scan the entire room. Like, is there any immediate danger coming your way? Um, But then in the midst of symptoms, it's like if you're experiencing symptoms, yet you've been cleared of everything emergent and you know that it's TMS, then that knowledge in and of itself should be the beacon of safety that's kind of lighting the way for you. So just keeping that trust, that's like my main message, trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Well, we didn't even finish them all and we're an hour and 25 minutes in, so it will be long. But, uh, as you listen to this, I will be not, I'll be waking up in Palm Springs. So I'll, uh, I'll make sure, I'll make sure that I tell everybody at the next episode how the Palm Springs trip went and did I have, did my back go into spasm <laughs> or did I get an anxiety attack or did my reflex come back or can I not have dairy again or whatever it is. But I think just again, the act of, talking about it and making myself conscious of it tells me that I'm going to be okay. (laughs) You'll be good. Uh, Any closing thoughts? Um, no, I think, um, I think we covered a lot of it. I think the overarching message is that you're going to be okay. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Caitlin, thanks for sitting down with me for an hour and a half and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. We'll connect in May. All All right.